Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to season seven of Talking with Traders. We're now into the fourth year of this podcast since it started in early 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as our sponsor for this season. We are truly privileged and grateful to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some will be follow-ups with past guests and some will be new guests. The idea behind this podcast is that you get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of what you hear in these episodes is intended to be financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here into your own trading and investing. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG for funding and sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please enjoy season seven of Talking with Traders. Our guest this week for Talking with Traders is Viv Govender. Viv is a portfolio manager at Rand Swiss. And Viv, you were put on to me by your founder, I guess, Gary Boyson, who's also been on this podcast before. And he said to me, you've got to speak to Viv about artificial intelligence because he's got all the knowledge in the world. He's running an artificial intelligence portfolio for clients. You've got to chat to him. So I'm very pleased to be speaking to you, Viv. Welcome to Talking with Traders today. But thanks for having me. Thanks. So give us quickly a bit of background. I mean, as I said, you're a portfolio manager at Rand Swiss, but as I do with every new guest, I like to just spend two minutes getting a bit more insight into who you are, where you've been, and what uh, what what your career has been like to this point. Well, I spent a lot of time at Varsity, you know, getting my postgrad and whatnot. Uh, did a bit of teaching at the start. Uh, before getting into the markets, around the middle of the uh, twenty, like twenty two thousand five, I think it was, I got into the markets for the first time. Okay. You know, tried to apply some of the uh, academic knowledge to, to you know the actual market. Uh, started off mostly uh, back then in trading, uh, short term trading, but moved over to analysis within a few years. Uh, been at a uh, couple companies uh, through that time. Uh, done most stuff in, around the. the if you look at my DOFA, you'd see I have quite a, a very a, quite a long list of licenses that I'm uh, I have here because I've been doing a variety of different things for for like almost two decades now. Uh, but yeah, then I moved on into uh, portfolio management and wealth management uh, about a decade or so ago, getting more towards you know uh, longer term investing away from the shorter term, you know, exciting stuff to the longer term, which I think is more profitable in the long term. Uh, and I've been at Rand Swiss since 2017, so that's about six years now. Mm. Okay. All right. Super. All right. And as I mentioned, the the main reason I wanted to speak to you today is around artificial intelligence, uh, because you've been tipped by Gary as the man to speak to in this regard. And I know you and I had a, a conversation yesterday just teeing up this podcast, and it was clear from chatting to you that, that you've got a hell of a lot of knowledge on AI. So I'm looking forward to this more formal conversation of this recording today. Um Obviously, artificial intelligence is a theme. It's an investment theme that has come into vogue lately. And, you know, we see these themes come and go. We've seen uh, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, things come and go, dot-com bubble back in the day. Um, artificial intelligence is the, the thing that's in vogue at the moment. 
it sounds very exciting, uh, but I guess in terms of starting this conversation, just let's start at the basics. What is artificial intelligence? And then from there, we will build on that to talk about you know the more detailed stuff and ultimately wrap it up with investment opportunities in artificial intelligence and how you're expressing your view through your portfolios. Okay. So uh, intelligence is a weird thing. It's almost uh, you, you, you know it if you see it kind of thing. Uh, it's like, you know, fire. We know what fire is before we could define how the combustion process worked. Mm. So we know that, you know, the burning hot thing over there is fire. We know when something behaves in a certain way, we think it's intelligent. Uh, okay. That's why we had things like the Turing test, where uh, it was basically intelligence defined when you could fool a person to thinking this was a human being instead of a machine. And that's what the okay. Turing test was determined to be useful, because actually defining intelligence itself is such a difficult process. Right. Uh, generally, it's the ability to basically achieve a goal, uh, you know, or to learn from, uh, you know, particular, uh, you know, material coming in or information coming in. Uh, those are the usual things that we we see when it comes to the definitions of intelligence. Uh, even currently, with these things like these large language models, which many people will think are intelligent, uh, you found that, you know, even before they were up to the current level, we had people at Google, for instance, that uh, one Google engineer came out and thought that, uh, uh, I think uh, the program at the time was, you know, sa- sa- sapient. It was, it, it was sentient, sorry. It could actually think. Okay. Uh, right now, the, the definition is, I think, uh, not strong enough to define whether or not uh, these programs can think. But it does, indic- it does seem to be that the programs that we have currently are able to do things that we associate with intelligence, if you know right. what I mean. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So okay. That, so it's a it's a it's a very broad answer, but that's kind of like where things are at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And this might be Tom Chomsky saying this stuff isn't intelligent; it's just parody. Okay. 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 Uh, when we were teeing up the conversation, um, you mentioned there's really two main categories of of artificial intelligence. Um, that's physical AI and symbolic AI. So I mean, let's just chat about each of those individually. Maybe starting with physical AI. Uh, or, or symbolic AI, whichever you choose to start with first. But give us an example of this in, in practice today, because it is already around us, but it's obviously just advancing all the time. Yeah. Look, I think that the thing is that when people think about AI, when we first people like start imagining what a, what a machine could do, they imagine the things that are hard for us are going to be hard for the machine. The things that are easy for us are going to be easy for the machine. So you'd often have the idea of a robot walking around the building and doing stuff, but being quite dumb, you know, uh, in terms of what it could do, uh, think about. Mm-hmm. It turns out that's the exact opposite of it. Machines can think of very like smart concepts and processes, but the actual walking around a physical environment is actually a very difficult thing to do. And uh, it's just that humans and animals, as like you know, have evolved over billions of years to make that particular aspect of intelligence simple. And the, the way I think of it is this way. If you look at, for instance, the ability of a baby to learn how to talk, a baby learns how to talk by listening to people around it. Yeah. And, you know, most people are using a few, about 10,000, 20,000 words maximum with the vocabulary. The baby is listening to maybe, you know, five to 10,000 words maximum per day, probably much less. And then we have, like, say, two to three years, the baby learns to talk. Okay. When we learned, we taught these machines to talk. We put the entire output of the internet. We took, we took about trillions of pieces of information into these, 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 uh, machines to learn to talk, to learn to understand language, okay? Mm, mm. Uh, this is orders, many orders of magnitude more than it takes for a child to learn to talk. But when it comes to like physical AI, the same process is probably going to be required. We're probably going to have to put a lot more information into the AI than it takes for a child to learn to use a physical world. The problem is, where do you get that information from? 
You know, uh, a child has three, two, three years to learn to walk around and to like manipulate the physical world. It takes a long time for a child even to hold something to like manipulate a, you know, an object. Uh, but we don't have many, many, you know, billions of examples of that to feed into a machine, except for maybe one company, Tesla, which has that, uh, you know, that those robots with uh, those cars with the sensors. Mm-hmm. And they, I think, get about 160 billion frames of uh, information a day. Uh, of video information a day that they could be using. But generally, that information is quite limited. So what's happened is that we've been able to get very much further ahead in what you think of as basically being symbolic AI, which AI manipulating pictures. Dali 3, by the way, came out today. Uh, video, music, uh, words, uh, those kind of things. Are, 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 we are way far ahead of that. Getting a machine that can basically go over, pick up a, like a stuffed toy and bring it over to you is far more difficult to do, apparently, than having a machine that can basically beat the world's champion at chess. Okay. Uh, and that is the, the difference we're seeing right now. But once we do get physical AI, understand that at the point at which a machine can actually look around the room and understand that those physical objects exist and how they behave, et cetera, and how gravity works and how you know physical objects move and so on, that is a whole new aspect to the world because suddenly you'd find that the world of symbols are nice. I mean, white color work is nice. We like physical stuff. We're talking about, you know, mining equipment. We're talking about agriculture. We're talking about manufacturing, construction. All those things become immediately open to us. And as soon as we get the machine, that can do the physical stuff. The symbolic stuff right now, like I said, far ahead, uh, we're coming to a point where almost these machines are as good as the top nine, almost as good as everyone except me, the top 0.1% or top 2% of artists. Uh, as good in writing as anyone, you know, beyond the top, say, twenty percent of 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 of, uh, uh, of writers in physical AI, no AI is within the bottom one percent of human beings in terms of physical yeah. ability. You know okay. what I mean? Just yeah. understanding how the world works. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. So, the, so, so to sum it up, really, the symbolic AI is things like it, it can make music, it can talk, it can write, it can draw pictures. That type of stuff. Um, the yeah. physical AI is, as as the name suggests, it's physical. It's self-driving cars. It's um, things that can go through farmlands, picking out weeds and identifying weeds in physical that capacity. That type of thing. I got that yeah. right. Yeah, and also remember, that's the thing with Tesla. Why I'm I'm such a bull on Tesla is that once you have a self-driving car, you do have the machine that can go onto the fields. You do have the machine that can build your house and clean your dishes. These self-driving cars that ability to understand that school, to see the world and to manipulate it, that becomes something that's universally applicable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you said, Tesla's far ahead of anybody else in terms of data on, on self-driving cars. Um, I know in South Africa, where a lot of the audience is listening to this, you don't have Teslas there. Um, but I mean, here in the UK, it's unbelievable, the, the number of Teslas that are driving around every Every second car, just about. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but but there are lots of lots of Teslas driving around. As you say, they've got all these different cameras all around the car. They can pick up certain things. Um, so yeah, they're gathering a huge amount of data. Just on that, I mean, interesting. I've got a friend who has a Tesla, and uh, he had a sort of a handbag stolen out of the car, and they managed to catch the thieves because the cameras on the car identified the thief and they managed to use that information to track the track the guy down so it's just it's interesting and i mean they're catching up a hell of a lot of of useful information i guess by doing by doing that um when when we spoke yesterday you said something that resonated interestingly with with me it you said there's something magical about ai and the same is there was something magical about the internet 
There was something magical about the iPhone. Um, these were developments that changed our lives for the better, irreversibly. Uh, and yet things like cryptocurrency and NFTs, which have come along and you know they've had a hype and they've simmered down a little bit now, but they just seem to lack that magical element of you know being life-changing, like what the internet was, like the iPhone. Is it really that big of a deal? Is this technology that is going to change our lives irreversibly for the better going forward? Yeah, I mean, AI, if, it, if, it, if, if the progress that people are talking about comes true, it's not going to be like the cell phone or the internet. It's going to be like fire. It is going to be one of the things that redefines what it means to be a human being. Uh, and fire did that. I mean, fire basically changed how we ate, how we lived in the in the in the, in the, in the environment, etc. And that's going to be the kind of effect that you're going to see here. It's not going to be a, a minor thing where you talk about, you know, this has a one or two percent differential in terms of uh, global GDP. If AI becomes real, if you do have physical AI, we talk a double digit, maybe even more than that, GDP growth per year for a long time. Yeah. So we would be looking at, 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 at one of those true science fiction futures where the cost of most things would go to one zero, quite frankly. Um, yeah. That is the kind of improvement that we're looking at. Yeah, so it is that in that in terms of the scope. But also, I, I want to add a little point there. It's also magical in the terms of the, we don't understand how this stuff works. And that's what the amazing part of AI is, is that it's like fire. Like the example I used of fire is that we do not know how fire works beyond the fact that if you rub two sticks together, eventually you'll get a spark and that'll burn into something. Mm. We do not understand how oxygen worked or how combustion worked, etc. Way down, way down the line. And it's happening right now with AI, where things, people are doing things that are working, but they don't know how it works. And the example I'd use is this. There's something called a theory of mind. Okay, That's the ability to know that stuff that you have in your mind, I don't have in my mind. The stuff mm. I have in my mind, you don't have in your mind. So if I know something, you may not know it. And you'll find that young children, again, don't have that theory in mind. So if you show a, show a secret to a young child, it would assume that because it knows it, everybody knows that secret, right? Yeah. And they discovered that GPT-4 had a theory of mind. And what they did then was look back and see how far back did this thing appear. And they found that GPT-3 had a theory of mind and they hadn't even tested for it. Okay. And somehow creating this machine or this, 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 this bunch of like numbers, these floating point numbers, basically, uh, these little fractions in a big, massive, like, you know, matrix here. Some have developed the ability to understand that other people had the ability to know things that you don't know and vice versa. And that's what I call magical as well, because unlike, for instance, you build a car, imagine you build a car and you've increased the engine, and then the car begins to fly or can start singing or, you know, could do something weirdly different. That's the kind of stuff that you're seeing with AI, where you build these uh, machines, or these machines, but these these programs, and somehow they are, you don't know what they can do until you test them, which is a weird thing to, to understand, that you don't understand how you built it and what you're doing there, that it's doing things that you don't even expect it to do. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But um, th th there's also a school of thought that some are saying they're very worried about this artificial intelligence then that what it's going to mean for the human race or for the, for the need for human beings because it's got the potential to take away a lot of jobs. And I, look, I, mean, I guess... We've already seen so many iterations of this throughout the years, robots that can build cars and so on. Um, it, it's crowded out human beings in a lot of industries. But the, the big concern out there is that that this artificial intelligence, if it, if it continues to grow and spiral the way that it is, uh, that it could actually have quite negative ramifications for humankind, for social 
the social fabric of society could cause societal problems. I mean, to the extent we've seen people calling for a, a, a sort of a halt on the development of AI. I know that re- recently there was a very senior Google executive who who left Google and you know publicly said this stuff is scary. Yeah, what 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 it what it can do and the way it's going is is frightening. Um, we need to put a we need to put a halt on this. I mean, what do you say to that and to the, the the potential negative connotations for for human race? Okay, so there's there's a range of things I'd say in terms of AI safety. It starts all the way from naughty words and ends up at basically kill everything. Yeah. So that's the kind of range in terms of the danger of AI. The naughty word stuff is like, you know, AI is racist. AI is bigoted because it has, you know, based biased information going in and says the wrong things. And that's unfortunately been the focus of a lot of AI safety over the last little while. So people have been talking about, oh, make sure it's not biased, make sure it doesn't say the wrong things, which is obviously important. I mean, these things are going to be useful for making, you know, economic decisions, giving people home loans, deciding who, you know, maybe down the line to go to prison or not. That's a possibility. And this stuff is going to be, you know, affected by stuff internal to it that we don't understand how it works. But I do think that there is a significant, uh, you know, more serious danger to this. Uh, There's people like Eliezer Yudskowski, who have come out with what's called AI killing everybody risk, okay? And you'd be surprised at the percentage of really senior AI people, like this guy, Jeff Hilton, we talked about. He's considered to be the godfather of AI. Yes, that's and right, yeah. He basically, yeah. he basically came out and said that uh, he thinks that there's a more significant risk of this stuff happening than you, you imagine. Among AI scientists, you'd find that even people that are in charge of open AI, people that are in charge of... Uh, you know, uh, deep mind, et cetera, uh, put a double-digit percentage risk that this thing kills everybody. Wow. This is not like a one in a hundred chance, one in a billion chance, which you'd want it to be, like a one in a billion chance. No, we, there is, even among like the proponents of this, there is a significant percentage of people, at least half of AI scientists think there's at least a 10% chance this thing kills everybody. And why would it kill everybody? The answer is that we don't understand how this mind works. It's a mind that has these, these, these what are you giving, we're giving a power to a thing that we don't understand how it thinks. Intelligence is a power. The intelligence is the ability, I know I'm defining it again, intelligence, but intelligence is the ability to get what you want. Right. right? Yeah. Right. We, we don't know how to make it want things. Uh, and, and the ways we are training it at the moment are not guaranteed for to result in wanting the things we want. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're giving more and more power to this thing that's going to want things um, or may one thing. We don't know if it definitely sort of one thing, but it's may want things. And the intelligence it gets is going to make it able to get the things it wants. What are those things going to be? Who knows? There's the example that everyone talks about, which is the paperclip example. Okay. Uh you may have heard of that. No. Where Tell us this, about it. Okay, the paperclip example is imagine you create a machine and somehow internal to that machine uh is a desire that they should be paperclips. So, so this machine uh desires Paperclips, right? Some people talk about the simple way of it. Somebody assigned it as a paperclip making machine and said, make some paperclips. Yeah. Others say that somehow the desire for paperclips for these, for these particular spiral shapes is just something it, it developed automatically internal to itself. Okay. Mm. And what happens is because of its intelligence, it's able to basically make as many paperclips as it wants to. And how does it do it? It uses stuff to make paperclips, including the people around it, their bodies, including the earth itself, including the universe itself. And the intelligence it has will allow it to do that, and the, the way I would I would I would I would I would clarify this is like some people say, but something that's more intelligent won't want bad things. 
But that's not true. Imagine mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Imagine he was a hundred times more intelligent. He would still be Hannibal Lecter, but just with the, a greater ability to do the bad things that he wants to do. If you create a machine that has these bad desires, and note, we don't understand the most basic stuff about these things and how they're created. These bad desires could translate into something that could be very dangerous. Now, look, this is not something that's going to be a danger in the next year or two. But the rate at which the stuff is increasing, which we'll talk about in a bit here, we give you an example. GPT-4 came out this year, March, right? Yeah. We're going to get Gemini coming out this year, December. Nine months later, four to five times more powerful. Okay. okay. We're going to get the new NVIDIA chips coming out middle of next year that are 10 times more powerful than the current chips. So you could take the same information and the same training, like whatever, the same, sorry, uh, budget that you spent this year to train GPT, or Gemini, sorry, okay, which is five times more powerful than GPT-4, and apply it next year, and you'll get something that's 10 times more powerful than the five times more powerful thing. So 50 times more powerful by next year. Okay. Wow. That is the rate of improvement that is insane. And again, the example I'd use here is, again, something biological. The difference between you and a chimpanzee is three types. Your brain is three times more powerful than a chimpanzee's brain. Okay. The, the basic structures are there. We're going from something that's GPT-4, which everyone thinks is amazing right now, and making something 50 times more powerful within two years. Okay, so we don't know at what point does this weird stuff happen. And like I said before, we talked about uh, you know with, uh, emergent abilities, emergent qualities, like the ability to understand theory of mind. They did not know it was going to do that when it when it did it. So we do not know what this 50 times more powerful machine does in say two or three years time, or what this thousand times more powerful machine does in five years time, or what this million times more powerful machine does perhaps in 10 years time. And wow. that is the danger that we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to deviate a little bit, but uh, it's also going back to something that you said to me yesterday when we were teeing this, this up. Um, you said, you asked me about my kids, right? So I've got two boys, seven and 10 years old. And you said, there's a good chance that my youngest son's best friend could be a robot. And yeah. you explained why. I thought that was interesting. Just tell the listeners about that. Because I think it, that's kind of something I can relate to. It was quite scary. Um, you know, I, I, I keep telling my boys, let's let's spend more time in the universe and less time in the metaverse. I think a lot of kids these days spend too much time on their iPads. Um, we try and get a balance, but you know, it's quite, it's quite scary to think that, yeah, his time in the metaverse, he might make his best friend, and it's a robot. Let's talk about yeah. that. Well, the weird thing is that when we talked about or we thought about intelligence and AI maybe three, four years ago, the things that people would have said automatically are things that this thing could not do was creativity and empathy. Mm. Okay. Creativity, if you've looked at DALI 3 or DALI 2, even that's the older version, you've looked at GPT-4, I would I would tell you that 95% of people can't write as well as GPT-4, okay? Mm-hmm. 99.99% of people can't draw as well or be as creative in, in terms of artwork as, you know, DALI can, okay, DALI 2 can. Right. And also, it turns out that in terms of empathy, these things beat human beings. They had a study where they basically had a GPT-4-based doctor and they compared it to a real doctor. And what they found was people judged the ability of the GPT-4 doctor in terms of its advice as good as the real doctor, but 90% rated the GPT doctor as being more pathetic than the real doctor. Wow. Why? Because the machine has infinite patience with you. Yeah. The machine will never get tired of what you're saying, will always want to listen to what you're saying, and is 
smart. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk to. So mm-hmm. you can imagine like next year or the year after, you have like these little teddy bears that are training your child to read or write or whatever it is. It'll be an infinitely patient teacher that has access to all the information in the world. The child could talk to you about poetry or sports or whatever. It would know every single thing the child's ever been interested in it, and adjust its answers based on that. And you would never be tired talking to that child. There would be, never be a case where that child would feel that you're boring your friend. Now, how do you compete in that scenario with the real world? You know, and, and, and I, I don't think it's like an outside, like, you know, it's a possibility this happens. I think it's going to be a real danger that in a few years' time, four or five years' time, you're going to find a whole generation of people coming out and literally their soulmates, the people, the thing that they basically have the greatest confidence in, the, that they want to share their secrets with and want to talk to the most is going to be an AI of some kind. Mm. Wow. But that, 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 by its very nature, I guess, is also, um, how do I put, phrase this correctly? Kind of a, it's a bit of a first world problem, it, it, wouldn't it be? In, in, in the sense that, I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, but in order to have access to all of this type of thing that you're referring to, you, you know, people stuck in the rural third world, are they going to have access to this? Does it not create a bigger divide? Does it? What does this do for uh, the divide in society, the, the haves versus the have-nots, which is already a widening divide? I think in terms of usage, it'll be widely spread. The weird thing about the current world is that there's a kind of weird egalitarianism when it comes to technology. As rich as you are, you could be Elon Musk. Hmm. You cannot get a better smartphone than I can. Yeah. Elon Musk cannot buy a better smartphone than I can. No matter how rich he is, no matter how much money he has, he maybe get a gold-plated phone, but Hmm. the best phone is available to him and to me, and I can pretty much afford it. That's not true for any other kind of thing out there. You can buy a better house than I can. You can buy a plane and I can't buy a plane or a rocket ship or whatever it else is. But in terms of the highest end technology in smartphones, you can't beat me, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think the same things will apply when it comes to these AI systems. They're going to be universally applicable out there. You're not going to find a case where you're going to find the best systems, you know, uh, restricted to like, you know, only the very richest people. Already right now, everybody in the world has access to GPT-4, which is a very, very good system for $20 a month. You know, okay. it's not nothing, $20 a month, but $20 a month is not exactly like what you would think to be the cutting-edge technology yeah. in AI. You know what I mean? yeah. And the weird thing about AI is also is that the majority of the cost goes towards training, not towards the usage. Once it's trained, it's like a piece of software. The usage becomes much more, much simpler. So you need billions, you know, nobody's maybe hundreds of millions uh, of dollars worth of equipment to train a, a large language model. Yeah. But the latest stuff out there, those models can be run on a high-end PC that you could buy for under $100,000. You can run them under 100000 but training costs a billion. I think what's going to happen is you're going to find that the technology is very widespread, used everywhere in the world. But what might be the danger is that the revenue is not going to Microsoft, sitting mm-hmm. in the US. It's not going to go to the guy in the field somewhere. And yeah. that is going to be the danger, is that the revenue for the stuff is going to go towards particular parts of the world. It's not going to be evenly shared. But the usage is going to be pretty wild, widely spread around the world. You will have these AI assistants for the housewife in India as well as the you know the tech billionaire in the US. And okay. I don't think that the tech billionaire will have a better system than the housewife in India. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. All right. Super. Well, I mean, I think we've we've discussed enough of what it is, how it looks, the possibilities, the the dangers, I suppose, of AI. Um, let's 
bring this back to trading and investing because that's obviously what this podcast is about. It's called Talking with Traders and it's not always just traders, it's investors, it's investment themes that we talk about as well. So we assume that it is the next big thing. It is the magic. It is the internet again, or fire as you've referred to it. It is going to alter our lives irreversibly. Um, So where are the investment opportunities then in this space? Well, look, uh, if I knew exactly where the money is going to be made, I'd be making the money directly. Yeah. You know, if you really like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg said that we, if you knew what Facebook was, you would have built it. Sure. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so, so exactly the, the same case here. We don't know what the, 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 the new thing is going to be. Generally, we're going to find hardware initially going to be the, the beneficiary. Uh, so Nvidia is doing very well. And it's going to be doing very well going to the future. Uh, because right now, everybody would money, is putting money into this. Not just every company, every entity. We talk about every country. With real money is putting money to this. That's why we've seen stuff happening in the Saudi, in, in the Middle East. We've seen stuff happening in, for instance, the UK. I think the UK spent a hundred million pounds something on on stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elon Musk has put a couple hundred million. Uh, the Saudis are, are talking maybe billions coming in. Uh, so that's going to be the basic, the starting point. But within a year or two, what we're going to do is going to find as the technology becomes more cheaper, we're going to find more ability for smaller players to get into the system. Okay, yeah. and I think that in fact uh, we probably will find that the hardware guys would have run too fast initially, and then a couple of years time they'll probably come down with a bit of a bang. Uh, the example I'd use around this would be what happened with uh, telecoms, the internet. Yeah. Where initially, when since the internet came about, everybody was putting fiber down, and yeah. the real beneficiaries of them were not the fiber companies, but the internet companies who were built on that fiber. A few years down the line, when everyone had fiber for nothing, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's going to be the next next step. But right now, if you want to invest. For the next year or two, you want to be getting into the bigger companies, the guys eating up for the stuff, which is like the Microsofts and the Googles and the Facebooks, et cetera, uh, Alphabets or Matches, et cetera, or the companies like NVIDIA, which are building the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The other possibility out there is you want to be looking at companies that have unique information, access to information that nobody else has. Again, like a Facebook has information that nobody else has because it has three out of four of the biggest networks out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a Palantir, a company like that there. Yeah. Um, these That's are big, be, big data businesses. Big data businesses are going to be yeah. the cases. Uh, in a couple of years' time, you're going to find the Googles or the Amazons being created. But right now, uh, I would not be putting money into places like Inflection or places like Mistral and so on, uh, because those places, even though they're not listed, but they're taking you know a billion dollars to build a hundred, eight hundred million dollar you know uh, it's a training facility. The technology yes. is going to move so fast for that to be viable. Okay. Okay. All right, but now I mean the 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 if I play devil's advocate here, right? The fact that we're talking about this, the fact that it is a theme, it is in vogue, um, and we've already seen a lot of these stocks run pretty hard. I mean, you mentioned Nvidia, and that really has been the poster child of this AI rally that we've seen in stocks this year. Um, it's not cheap. The valuations for these things are not cheap. So, like with the dot com bubble, yeah, you know there. There was the notion that oh, the internet's going to change the world. Um, you've got to buy dot com stocks, etc. Yes, the internet did change the world. However, the prices of those stocks at the height of the dot com bubble were just ridiculous. Do we run the same risk now that that some of these AI stocks are outrageously expensive and they're pricing in a future that that earnings just can never deliver, or are we still in the early stages of what? will one day become a much bigger bubble in AI. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, if I'm correct about the AI, you know, in fact, on, the, on GDP, we're talking about uh, increasing global GDP by over a trillion dollars, you know, per year. 
every mm-hmm. year. You know what I mean? We're talking that kind of improvement in terms of that. There's a lot of money. Okay. Yeah. So even though some of these companies are expensive right now, the upside is still higher than that. Number one. Number two is that in an environment like this here, we even if you look at something like similar to like this, which was the internet revolution, okay? Uh, the dot-com bubble, you could have bought Amazon. And mm-hmm. you may have bought Amazon and like 20 other stocks. And every other three other stocks went bankrupt. But Amazon would have done a thousand times return yeah. in the last 22 decades. Yeah. And a thousand times 5% is still 5,000%. So you would have gone yeah. from 100 to 5,000%. The ex- other examples, I mean, there's not, it's many of those, like I mean, 10 cent, the Nasdaq's return of 10 cent is something like about 4,000 times. Mm. Or Alibaba, or you know, Facebook, or Netflix. When you have these, these kind of revolutions happening, first of all, what you must understand is that the impact is going to be larger than you think it is. Uh, there will be losers and there'll be winners. But they won't just be losers because they, have, they don't have the opportunity to be part of the revolution. If you're not invested partially into these things here, you won't just be the guy that loses because you don't have the opportunity. You'll be the guy that loses because the, the, the new companies will come and eat your lunch. Yeah. An example I talked to you about was Sony. Now, Sony basically missed out on the cell phone revolution. Okay, and it didn't just miss out on the fact that it could not make cell phones that were competing with the, you know, the iPhones and the Samsungs out there, but also its camera business was destroyed because people were less likely to buy cameras now that they have the iPhone and they have the Samsung phone in their hands. Yeah. And the same thing will apply to other companies as well, where if you don't have some exposure to the sector, you can't just say, oh, I'm avoiding this particular thing because I think it's too risky. If you avoid it, it's quite possible that these companies that do succeed come back and destroy the company that you did decide to invest in. Right. So that's why you have to still be involved in it, even though, like you said, there are chances that many companies won't succeed in the area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that kind of leads me to the next question, which is the, the portfolio that you are running. And I, mean, you, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about it so listeners can also potentially contact you if they think that they're interested in this as, a, as an opportunity for themselves. But um, you're, you're running an AI, effectively an AI-focused portfolio for clients. Uh, is that in the form of a fund or is it just a discretionary managed portfolio that each client can individually do with you? How does that look? And then after that, I also just want to ask you your you know, your approach around risk, but also around how you are hoping that you can get involved and be in the next Google or the next Amazon, assuming that one of these companies will be the next Google or Amazon, but we just don't know which one yet. Okay, look, we just launched a few months ago, so it is still a personal share portfolio. It was a managed, a discretionary managed portfolio. Uh, we don't have the, uh, like a unit trust based fund done at the moment. The minimum amount to get into it is about $20,000. Okay? okay. And the idea would be here is that you're not putting the majority of your funds into it. What you are doing is you're seeing that this is a definite, you know, new development in the economic space. You think there's a significant chance that this becomes something, you know, that's real. And then you want to have a piece of your, your investments basically here. So if that does happen, you're at least insulated against the possibility that this does, stuff does come and eat your lunch, like I talked about. Mm. We use what's called, uh, or what we term, paradigm shift uh, you know, uh, uh, strategy. If there's a paradigm shift, like the, like the imagine like we had with the, um, with the Amazon, mm. and you had went and bought 20 stocks, and you had Amazon along the stocks, and you had, say, the others like Price.com and the Pet.com and the other stuff out there. Yeah. And you adopted a normal investment procedure where if some stock became five from 5% portfolio to maybe 30% portfolio, you cut down from the 30% down to a more reasonable level. Yeah. If you did that in a normal portfolio, what would happen was you'd lose the majority of the gains you'd had from Amazon. Mm-hmm. So the next thing in this thing is, is if we do think this is going to be a paradigm shifting kind of investment, we will never sell a share just because it's too large a share of the portfolio. 
we fully expect there's a possibility one or two of our shares becomes 70, 80% of the portfolio just because it becomes the winner in the area. Right. Like Tesla could, for instance, become 70, 80% of the portfolio, but we never will rebalance it yeah. because that would lose the majority of the gains. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We basically are starting with blue chips because that's where we think the advantage is right now. We started with companies that have the hard physical advantage in terms of infrastructure, uh, like, you know, uh, Tesla or Facebook or Lepeta or Alphabet, et cetera. But we are looking to shift into smaller companies as the hardware allows them to develop, which will probably be the second half of next year. But we still can't be out of the thing entirely because, you know, for instance, Tesla just launched its uh, its AI, you know, physical AI program a couple of weeks ago. Mm. It's quite possible but that there could be a surprise development on their behalf in the next, say, six months or so. And so while we're waiting for hardware to drop and for smaller companies to enter, Tesla comes out and has solved the physical AI problem, in which case that company is up, you know, 10 times in value. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so we can't be totally out of it in that point of view. So what we're doing is we're starting with the blue chips right now because that they have the scale and the scope to actually absorb this initial insanity, shifting to small caps later. But we are going to be using uh, a, an approach in terms of the management of the portfolio where we do not sell winners. Yeah. We're not selling a winner just because we wish to sell something because we don't think it's part of the AI it's, you know, theme anymore or they've dropped back. Uh, but we're not going to sell something because you know, it became you know, too valuable in mm. commerce. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I know that that's been a big problem with uh, NASPAS, for example, in the JSE and under Regulation 28, where managers had to cut that stock back. Uh, and had they not been forced to cut it back to keep the weighting uh, of a reasonable level, it would have made so much more money. So it is almost, uh, well, it, it not almost, it is, it absolutely is counterproductive to trim back the winners and uh, and 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 sort of upweight the losers, I suppose, as a word, you, you want to be doing the other way around. So I like that approach. And obviously, because it's a personal share portfolio, it's not in any, any um, sort of a fund structure, you can do that. There's nothing prohibiting you in terms of the rules and the regulations of weightings and forced amounts of, of investments in different sectors and whatever. You've got total carte blanche to to go into this, right? Okay. okay. And, and you're right, in terms of like, in a normal environment, you want to be selling the super winners and buying the losers because normally, you know, this most companies are going to be average. You know, mm. there'll be a return to the mean. But yeah. we do have a paradigm shift. You're not going to find, you know, suddenly Apple dropping back and Nokia taking over. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Apple is going to build on its advantage over time, and that's always going to be the one you want to be holding. And you're never going to buy a BlackBerry just because it fell, or Nokia because it fell. No. It's cheaper. Yeah. And that's the kind of approach we think. Yeah. There, is, there is a shift happening in the world. You want to be in the winners. You don't want to be trying to get uh, cheap losers. Yeah, yeah. Run your winners. It's one of the basic tenets of good investing. All right, excellent, Viv. So if, if anyone listening to this podcast would like to get in touch and find out about this product or this portfolio that you run, uh, how can they do that? Uh, email me, viv at ranswiss.com, V-I-V at ranswiss.com, or just Google me and you'll, at, and, or Ranswiss, you'll find my details and get in touch with me. And like I said, it's $20,000 to get in to the fund, yeah. uh, to, to, to start a portfolio for yourself. And uh, yeah, like I said, just give us a shout and we'll walk you through the process. Yeah, fantastic. Sounds really interesting. Very, very interesting opportunity. Well, Viv, thanks. Um, we've come to the end of the allotted time for this podcast, but it's been great speaking to you. Um, I've found it really interesting. We're going to watch this theme with a lot of interest going forward. And it'd be nice to maybe get you back on the podcast in a year's time to catch up again and see what developments have taken hold some from now until then and see uh, the speed of this thing moving forward. Yeah, if, 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 if the stuff is not 10 times more powerful by the time we talk again, I'd be disappointed. 
<laughs> well, there we go. There's the there's the punchline for for this episode. Excellent, Viv. Thanks very much for coming on to talking with traders. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to catching up again at a later stage. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.